0: Welcome to this episode of The World According to Irina Sukarman. This is a fresh episode for the first first one this year with Irina. So this will be a special one. This is a part of our special series on global politics on the KJ Masterclass Live. Irina Sukarman, she is a U.S.-based national security and human rights lawyer as well as a renowned geopolitical analyst. Her Writings and commentary have appeared in diverse U.S. and international media and have been translated to over a dozen languages. Every fortnight in the world, according to Irina Shukerman, we traverse the geopolitical landscape and delve into pressing international issues and gain insight from Irina's expert perspective. Welcome to the show once again, Irina, and a very happy New Year to you.
1: Thanks, and same to you. Kopi. your year you, you is off to a great start.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. A, a great, great start to a new year from uh, uh, from uh, cover, coverage point of view in terms of geopolitics. We will understand from you how, whether it has been a great start or not. Let's look at the impact of the U.S.-U.K. strike on Yemen. How do we understand? This is the big topic that we will be covering today. So let us understand in full. What is this UN, uh, U.S.-U.K. strike on Yemen? Why suddenly human, Yemen has come into the picture? From a layman's perspective, someone sitting, say, suppose, in a village in India, how do they understand this part why Yemen has suddenly become the hotbed for U.S.-U.K. strike?
1: Well, that uh, general area has always been very important. About one-fifth of the, of the world's uh, maritime trade uh, passes through uh, Bab el Mandab, Strait of Hormuz, the Red Sea, uh, the general Gulf of Oman area. Much of it is oil and gas uh, that, is, uh, that goes on to Africa and to the Far East to... Uh, Japan, South Korea, countries that are heavily dependent um, on imports of uh, energy from abroad. Uh, Yemen has been uh, a complicated country for many decades, but in the last decade, the biggest issue has been the uprising of the Iran-backed Houthis, a minority Muslim uh, family that expanded significantly through Uh, complex marriage and tribal uh, networks and to conquest. Um, They rose up against the official government of Yemen, uh, started um, uh, a revolution that was supposed to be in favor of their greater inclusion in the governments, but uh, they have become so radicalized and so close to Iran that they actually want to have full control of yemen 100 of all of its territory and government They do not want to be engaged in any power sharing agreements um saudi arabia was eventually invited by yemen to uh, to help address this uprising it led a long war of eight years unfortunately it's a, defen- a defensive um Uh, Maneuvers were cut short by uh, by international diplomatic pressure. As a result, the port of Hodeidah, the biggest port in Yemen, was given over to the Houthi control, essentially. And this is where both the humanitarian aid flows into the country. Uh, And it's supposed to be distributed everywhere, but uh, unfortunately, most of it is uh, stolen or divided up between cronies and supporters over other cookies, uh, but it's also uh, the port where Iran directs its ammunition, its weapons, and Iran, both through the RGC and Hezbollah, has trained cookies to become an increasingly more sophisticated force. They uh, used to be allied with the Saudis uh, during the Cold War against the Nasser-backed Egypt and the Soviet uh, Union, but decades later they um, moved closer to Iran. and. Uh, were engaged in a sort of smuggling and criminal activity over the borders with Oman and uh, Lebanon, and eventually became a more politicized force. Um, they engaged in numerous skirmishes with the government, and over time became quite good at war, and now they're in possession of long-range and med- medium-range ballistic uh, missiles, various drones, both Iranian-made and partially Chinese-made drones, and um assorted other uh, sophisticated weapons and they've become quite professionalized they're more like a very serious paramilitary force similar to hezbollah than to a group of random uh terrorists that you can, as you can imagine and they've become quite adept at using uh the terrain of yemen to hide their infrastructure making it very difficult to get them through airstrikes alone and um Because they control most of the uh, populated territory in Yemen Uh, right now, um, ground game has also become very complicated. US at one point was engaged in Yemen, but mostly encountering al-Qaeda and ISIS. They did provide support uh, to the Saudi-led Arab coalition, mostly with logistics and intelligence. That support over time waned for political reasons. Uh, so, uh, since then, U.S. withdrew any support. The Saudis decided to engage in peace talks with the Houthis, uh, which have so far led nowhere. But as a result of normalization with Iran, the Saudis backed away from trying to confront Houthis militarily and even asked U.S. not to engage in any offensive activity. Um, since October 7th, um, so previously, um uh, because Houthis an Iranian proxy, they have been, they have a an approach to the Tehran regime. And uh, they have become increasingly integrated and interchangeable with the various other Iran-backed militias and organizations and movements in the region. They have in the past offered the help and support to Hamas, uh, which Hamas at the time previously had declined. And they have also... Um, uh, provided very positive political support to the Taliban in Afghanistan. Uh, So they've become quite uh, known in the region. they fundraised for Hezbollah inside their own uh, territory. Um, After October 7th, they became Iran's most potent weapon because they were once more, where previously they focused their military strikes on Saudi Arabia and UAE, Now they reoriented towards trying to get to strike Israel. Uh, And eventually, when um, uh, they focused, uh, they did manage to get close to reaching uh, Israeli territory because they now have long range rockets. But most of their strikes were directed at commercial ships. Israel redirected most of its traffic around um, Cape of Good Corp in Africa. Uh, so then they started attacking any Western um, uh, vessels that passed through the region, avoiding Russia and Ch- Russian and Chinese ships. However, uh, all of that was coordinated with Iran, that, uh, that renewed its past uh, habit of abducting oil tankers and hijacking. Its crews, and there was also apparent co- possible coordination with Somali uh, pirates who hijacked one of the ships and were intercepted by the United and apprehended by the United States. Um US ended up moving a lot of um, a number of warships to the area. Iran responded by moving intelligence uh, spy ships there as well as occupying local Yemeni islands that made it very difficult for um, U.S. to worship, one of the U.S. warships to leave, leave the area. So those, all of these um, continuing strikes and attacks were coordinated between Iran and Houthis with the Iran giving orders. At one point it even had an ambassador in Sana'a, the capital occupied by the Houthis. And um, it became such a big problem that the Suez Canal where much of this traffic was directed lost 40 percent of its revenue shipping costs rose 250 uh, percent all of that obviously had an impact on energy prices on economies of the countries most dependent on these uh, things and it just made um, freedom of navigation impossible in this highly strategic region US had warned cookies multiple times along with the United Kingdom and a coalition of defensive, ships that tried um striking down uh, these uh, missiles and drones without engaging in offensive action but after a while it became um uh, the cookies became uh, engaged in deliberate provocations pushing the envelope farther and farther now the first thing that president biden did when he came to office in terms of foreign policy was remove the cookies from the foreign terrorist organization uh, list where President Trump um, placed them just right before leaving uh, leaving the White House. Now there is an ongoing discussion about redesignating them. Uh, a lot of the media today reported that they would be placed back on the FTO after President Biden called them terrorists, but. Former Trump officials say that Houthis uh, will be sanctioned as a group, that, but not placed on that specific top level uh, designation. Regardless, uh US engaged in symbolic strikes. They gave the Houthis a warning about the timing of the strikes, which uh, they claimed would prevent esca- regional escalation. The Houthis had an opportunity to remove much of their weapons and fighters from the area, and they renewed the strikes as soon as it was over. And today, U.S. After, uh, you know, after repeat of this of these strikes, after U.S. had to do a repeat run, this time specifically signaling to Iran uh, that um, Iran uh, that it's behind it. Uh, the hook is continued, nevertheless, and so today, U.S. and UK engaged. In a preemptive strike for the first time, um, but given the fact that a lot of this infrastructure is hidden deep inside the country, it's not clear what impact is going to have. It's literally just happened today.
0: Right, right, Irina.
1: In terms of
0: Houthis, if you look at it, what is it that they want? Are they uh, are they going to get anything in the long? in terms of uh, their standing because the U.S. and Iran, their relationship might change. Houthis, uh, do they have a long-term objective as a group? Also in terms of, you know, what is the Yemen government doing? Do they have a proper uh, structure where they can control? Because uh, last week when the strikes happened, Iran put it as, You know, these attacks as violation of Yemen's sovereignty and territorial integrity and breach of international laws. Why is it that the U.S. is not putting pressure on the Yemen government? How? And and earlier also the Houthis were there. And but now before because of this uh, Middle East crisis, because of the Gaza Strip and all that stuff, is it has become much, much more. What is the Houthi's role here? Do they want uh, a very active role into this thing? Is it Now how much control does Iran have? Does, does their existence only fully rely on Iran, or is it that they have their own agenda uh, in, in that whole region?
1: Well, Iran ha- has um, uh, evolved its role from a pa- regional partner uh, to the Houthis to completely controlled. To be completely in control, they would not have started any of this without Iran's direction. And while they claim that the impetus for all of this is uh, the war in Gaza and that they are trying to help Hamas, in reality, uh, this is just a, uh, an excuse, a justification for Iran to expand regional war, to humiliate US, to push, to test the waters of, of US commitment, and to try to push US and its allies out of their area and to expand its own naval capabilities. As for the Houthis, their agenda is local power, and they want to have co- complete control of Yemen. Uh, the legitimate Yemeni government does not recognize them, however, US and Saudi Arabia have been pushing the, uh, the government to include Houthis in, into a, uh, a diverse structure, but Houthis want complete control, they don't want to power share, and they are also extremely radical. They are more radical in terms of their views than the Iranian regimes. They have essentially erased women from public space altogether, similar to what the Taliban has done, much more so than Iran, uh, by the way. They have been killing journalists, uh, quite openly torturing them, abducting people of various bra- backgrounds, recruiting child soldiers, similar to what Hamas and Hezbollah uh, and Polisario in North Africa all. Iran linked organizations have been doing so they are a very extreme group and they uh, they um, consider US and Israel and, and and Jews enemies to be eliminated and destroyed and um in by all means possible obviously they do not have the means to really fight the United States other than through information wars but at that they are quite adept and they're spreading propaganda everywhere, they're brainwashing their populations. Um, Yemen government has been part of the talks with uh, Saudi Arabia for months. Saudi Arabia is leading that effort, Um, but uh, it hasn't gone anywhere because the Houthis have made ridiculous, absurd demands. They required $100 billion from the Saudis, plus they wanted all the salaries of their officials paid uh, they, uh, they've been smuggling oil from the south, so the situation is uh, very complicated, very bad. There's not much U.S. can do to put any more pressure on Yemen. They should be putting more pressure on the Houthis, uh, but they have been reluctant to do much. They've been sanctioning uh, financial networks that provide assistance to the Houthis, but the Houthis are still not fully designated as a terrorist organization like the RGC. Hamas or Al Qaeda, for instance. Uh, so uh, they still have a fair degree of le- international legitimacy. The officials travel back and forth, including to Iran, quite quite openly. Um, they uh, they follow Iran's directions because they get full support from Iran, and because they uh, they have a common goal in radicalization, taking over the country. For Iran, the ultimate goal is Saudi Arabia. They want to be seen as a primary religious state in the region. They want to dismantle the monarchy, uh, which they do not consider as legitimate. They want to be the custodian of the two holy mosques. So there is a very doctrinal religious uh, war going on here, and the Houthis are a means to that end. Huk- the Houthis consider themselves legitimate descendants of the Prophet Muhammad, and... Um, as such they consider themselves uh the 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 tribe that should be ruling yemen even though yemen has been a um, a republic for for a long time now they haven't had a king in a long time but uh the cookies want to go back to that structure and they only recognize muslim monarchs who are descended uh from uh who are hashemite in origin who are descended from the same tribe. So they don't have an issue with Morocco. They don't have an issue with Jordan, but they do have an issue with Saudi Arabia, UAE, and so forth.
0: Right, right, Irina. In terms of the Houthis, uh, you know, position there, uh, they are not attacking Chinese ships, Russian ships, and but others. Now, they want to put an impact for whatever reasons it is onto the uh, Western powers and Maybe as, as it looks like maybe on the because of the Israel Hamas war, but as, as one of our, you know, uh, viewers uh, has this particular question that did the Houthis attack on the Red Sea hurt Israel and West more or poorer countries in the region dependent on the trade? How do you look at this? Because uh, almost every country is impacted if we look at it that way how what is your analysis even india came into the picture india has nothing to do there even indian aligned ships were you know targeted indians were mm-hmm. so, have, have to look at that so help us understand uh, in terms of the uh, question that we are getting from one of our uh, viewers is onto the this that it is impacting more poorer countries and the world can see through it that there is a bigger agenda and not purely in terms of you know uh, uh, purely in terms of Israel or any other thing, but much more related to political power. And this is what, again, why can't people see Houthis are doing this? Direct? Because of Iran and to achieve their political goals and not because of Gaza. How do you see these sort of views? How do you see the impact on poorer countries uh, from your point of view?
1: They are having quite a very limited impact on Israel, to be honest, other than optics and you know, just an additional... Annoyance Israelis have been preparing for potential for such strikes for a very long time because they're aware of the Houthi capabilities and it's also very far away. So, even with the long range missiles, it's still difficult to reach. Now, with the traffic redirected, it's taking longer to deliver uh, the goods, but it's you know, it's inconvenient, but it's not a huge problem. The problem is with poorer countries and it's the problem is with the commercial ships that have been damaged, and also with countries that are more dependent on oil and trade and cannot get it through other routes. Uh, but we have also seen that there is a, a different reason. Um, so the official reason that the Houthi stated this is because they want to use the situation as a pressure on Israel to withdraw from Gaza. How, but how is attacking some, you know, European ships uh, that have nothing to do with India uh, with Israel, and for that matter, don't may may not even agree with what Israel is doing. Uh, that doesn't really make any sense because, yes, you know there's already international pressure on Israel. Yes, maybe the situation could stroke some fears among some people, but overall, everybody knows exactly what the situation is. and uh, they understand that the Houthis should have been dealt with a long time ago, and that Iran is calling the shots and Iran is instigating this violence. and uh, the only reason US and uk responded is after a very prolonged period of trade disruption became, because it's becoming impossible to pass through the region and there's all sorts of other issues um going but there's another agenda besides uh simply uh, galvanizing this output and showing Iran's strength and um trying to kick everyone out and uh, you know force them to choose sides Iran attacked the Indian uh, tanker directly. And it was the first time that it attacked from that direction. Now, quite frankly, Iranian meddling in India has been growing in recent period, but for a long time previously, the relations were fairly stable. India and Iran have had economic trade over energy, ports, uh, tourism, and various other projects. And India was not seen as part of this, Iran's primary agenda, Iran's primary agenda was the Middle East, it wasn't India, not that it didn't have interest there, but it was just not their primary uh, interest, it was just focusing mostly on the Middle East and also on the Western Europe, the United States causing problems there. But with India joining the Quad and with India increasingly strengthening its relations with Israel and the United States, and with India becoming a global player, and we've seen the discussion of the Middle East corridor with Saudi Arabia, um, whatever you may call it, it's starting to become a problem for Iran as a member of the coalition, not because it's specifically targeting Iran in any way, politically getting involved in any anti-Iran action. Simply as a member of this alliance, as an important potential member because of its resources, because of its uh, sheer size and um, important political role, it's being seen as a problem. And this attack on the ship was a signal. It was a strategic communication to say, choose your sides carefully. Otherwise, you'll be suffering along with the other countries. You could be like China and Russia who can pass without any problems or you could be like these western ships so you you need to think that's the message that iran is sending india choose your sides you can be with us in bricks, or you could be with the west but you can't you can't be with both and um we are going to see a lot more of that sooner because india is trying to play An independent political role. It is working on various projects with BRICS countries, but it's also doing a lot both on the security and economic business fronts uh, with the uh, US, NATO countries and so forth. So, we will see that there will be this effort to pressure India to choose sides.
0: Right, right, Irina. In terms of Russia, in terms of China, how should we look at their role in the middle east role in this uh houthis uh role that they are playing in the red sea how do should we look at that that is also becomes then it becomes apparent about if their ships are not getting attacked and if is it is it they are who instigating them or is it that they have they are trying to give tacit support only
1: uh, well, no, I would say that the, the support is more than tacit. Russia, China and Iran have absolutely a military alliance. They've done multiple military trainings, including naval exercises, both the th- you know, the three of them uh, in pairs, and also with the, um, they've done things with uh, North Korea as well. And uh, China has supplied engines and drones in various parts for Houthi ammunition. It's also sold weapons all over the Middle East, as have Russia. And Russia's had a role. Both Russia and China were two of the only countries with the remaining, at one point, uh, embassies open in Yemen. Uh, Russia, at one point, has tried to play uh, all sides in Yemen because it wanted to be seen as a power broker. It had ambitions for a military base there. Ultimately, it sided with the Houthis over the legitimate government and certainly against the Saudi elements quite openly, uh, they've grown significantly closer to Iran, and found it uh, helpful to coordinate their actions. They have their differences. One of the differences is over particular Yemeni islands that uh, Russia is, has an interest in, and Iran has occupied, as I've mentioned, and that uh, they also have interest over UAE, uh, because UAE and Iran have also disputes over over some islands and Russia has sided with the UAE because they have very significant financial investments in the UAE and they need the access to the Gulf as part of their geopolitical agenda, economic agenda. Uh, So sometimes it's been difficult for them to navigate these uh, relationships, but they have tried to kind of retain access to all of these parties to foster economic and political relationships with them and overall to join them firmly in the anti-western agenda with china the situation is a little bit different china does not play as much of a security role directly they actually try to stay out of all these external skirmishes. most of their military activity has been focused on the south china sea but they have built a base in djibouti uh, they've been looking to build another base in africa with limited success due to u.s pressure uh they've been looking um uh, to um, they have had an interest in Syria and, um building up their military presence. They've been working on projects in Saudi Arabia, and especially in UAE as well, uh, military drone drone production and so forth. So, uh, but still for them, it's more of a power projection and economic interest and political interest more than an interest in direct military involvement. They are not at the stage when they are ready to project that much power externally, because their main focus is Taiwan, um, closer areas, Japan, South Korea, Philippines, not necessarily uh, the Middle East, other than through political and economic uh, pressure still. They find it to be an important alliance. They have a top trading relationship in terms of oil with Iran. They have a growing trade, uh, energy trade relationship with Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, they've been selling surveillance technology all over the Middle East, particularly to Iran and Saudi Arabia. And uh, they 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 find it important to show um, uh, this sort of backing in. Uh, In this avenue, and in turn, Iran gives them and Russian ships preferential treatments because they're allies. They are allies, even if they have different agendas, sometimes complementary, sometimes completely independent of each other, sometimes overlapping, and sometimes divergent, or even potentially clashing in the future. At the moment, the big task is to oppose the West, and... For that reason, you are also seeing Russia and China meddling with Hamas, showing support to Hamas now to the Houthis. Not because necessarily they need, you know, they want to be the best friends, but they find them useful against the West and um, to achieve their own goals.
0: Right, Irana. So where does this all seem to be going? Is it all related to uh, the Middle East at the moment, or is it beyond that? Yeah, the whole world, almost half of this world is moving towards elections this year, Russian elections, India elections, U.S. elections, Taiwan elections just ended and China has all its own problems to deal with. So, How do you see this problem moving out? Is it going to end with, you know, with the end, uh, end, uh, end of the fight in, in, in Gaza? Is it going to end with the end of fight with Russia and uh, 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 r- Russia and Ukraine. Some sort of a decision comes in. How does this all look like to be panning out? Will the world see more stability in the going days? Uh, going days forward, because Iran has just you know the latest is that Iran has uh, had its own strikes in Iraq as well as in uh, in Syria. So does this look like to be much more getting wider, uh, or or is it going to be much more peaceful going forward? How does it look look to you in 2024.
1: I th- I think we are going to see a lot more skirmishes, a lot more efforts to push the envelope. China is watching closely. They were hoping for a political win um, because that would save them the trouble of having to plan any military operations. They will still try to push the new, the, the new government, the DPP government, um, against any full uh, independence as much as possible. They've already gotten a win from President Biden who said he opposes Taiwan's independence and certainly many other countries around the world for various political reasons view uh, Taiwan as an issue of China's territorial integrity but I think that's going to change because I think sooner or later people will, will see that for China it's not just about Taiwan. Taiwan is only a first step just as Ukraine is an important first step for Russia and quite Uh, simply I don't see much of a political difference between those two countries. Russia does not see Ukraine as an independent state, um, even though Ukraine has had a separate government. Yes, it has had various close relations with Russia over decades, a a lot of intermingling, there's been Russian-influenced parties, but overall it's been an independent country with its own separate economy, politics, and uh, social issues and trajectories. Similarly, Taiwan has not been any real part of China in so many decades that it's it's uh, it's completely different society and culturally, and, you know, it has some historic similarities, but also a great deal of difference because of a very different political system, democratic, much more open, much more accountable, and much more... Uh, pro-western in many ways and China is very much moving in a different direction. So I don't I I, I see that China will be watching closely and seeing how it can coordinate some sort of an effort I think if it sees that there is a real possibility of a regional conflagration in the Middle East if Iran, Houthis and so forth succeed in blocking the navigation completely. If they see US becoming more embroiled in having to uh, develop a strategy uh, to respond to these threats, unsuccessful, most likely, for the time being, because uh, this administration still is hoping for some sort of a diplomatic breakthrough with Iran, whatever that means. And while Iran is also, by the way, pursuing um, its nuclear ambitions, uh, China, it will be a good time for China to take action, either by blocking the South China Sea in a similar manner as what Iran is trying to do, or by simply attacking Taiwan or Philippines, or uh, engaging in some sort of asymmetrical hybrid warfare that may stop short of a full confrontation with Western militaries, but it will certainly stretch them thin. Um, the more conflicts there are that you, uh, U.S. Um, needs to respond to in some way, the easier it is for to start new conflicts, and for each aggressor to kind of succeed and make moves because there's only so much that U.S. can be doing diplomatically in terms of strategically providing weapons you know paying attention you know gathering intelligence and so forth after all the resources are finite and um you know there's also been a lot of mistakes made over the years a lot of talent talent lost and not enough people recruited specifically for all these uh separate and growing tasks so I think there is going to be, uh, you know, a greater chance because I don't see this administration taking any really big, daring steps against any one of these parties. Uh, and I think a blow to any one of them would be send a very strong message to the rest. This is why we are seeing North Korea disma- actively dismantling its communications infrastructure with the South Korea. This is a signal that they are besides the usual you know testing of missiles and so forth that we are all used to they are now actually moving towards unfreezing the conflict and towards a potentially a hard phase because this is a good time there's only so many conflicts yes you know venezuela and Guyana. venezuela is you know threatening to grab a chunk of that various conflicts in africa so the overall picture is all these fires are being instigated russia china are certainly stalking these tensions it's in their interest to do so iran is galvanizing its uh proxies in uh, throwing everything it can to see um what sticks they are not necessarily committed to any one proxy hamas for them is not an end game cookies for them are not an end game Yemen even is not a end game. For them, the end game is Saudi Arabia. For them, the end game is access to Eastern Mediterranean. For them, the end game is an um, extreme level of influence throughout Europe. But all of these proxies are tools. So they are thinking what they are able to sacrifice at the moment and how they can get um, the, read the U.S. and U.K. and other allies' response and where they can engage in and find an opening.
0: Right, right, Irina. One last question about India. What are the options here for, say, a neutral country like India? Uh, How do you see that? Uh, How do you see India's role till now? And how do you think, what is the best way India can look at its interests in that region without looking to take sides much?
1: Well, for the time being, it has not yet come to a point where it needs to necessarily actively choose although it's going to be pushed by all sides to do so but it will need to take steps to actively first of all uh, protect its interests from immediate tactical assaults and we have seen it already doing so by sending warships into uh indian off, um, ocean it will probably be engaging in more active exercises with other members of the quad probably will be looking to discuss A greater intelligence and security and defense coordination bilaterally as well with various countries, Um, probably looking towards uh, more advanced technologies, more advanced training. I think eventually it will need to start shifting towards more Western weapon system and away from the Russian systems, uh, simply due to quality and amount. India and the former Soviet Union have been close for historic reasons. They have been very dependent on each other in terms of these systems. But uh, today, India is a country of uh, a billion, nearly a billion and a half people. Russia simply does not uh, have what it takes to supply what needs to be in, in the field of modern warfare. Uh, we have seen that the war in Ukraine has exhausted its capabilities, it's significantly stretched by the sanctions it is barely able to provide for its own war. It will not be able to produce, um, practically speaking, the amount of various highly advanced technologies that India will need if it wants to become um, a very modern uh, superpower. And that's where I think it's leading. So it will have to look to diverse other countries, mostly Western countries, it will need to restructure its um, military to, uh, to come to comply with the demands of of operating in this very advanced and hybrid threat environment. That's simply a practical reality, not for any ideological reasons, but because that's where it's all heading. Uh, you know, it will probably draw a great deal on Brazil' capabilities, another BRICS member with very highly advanced technology. Uh, but uh, you know, also it's been working with France, with uh, Israel probably eventually it will get to the point where U.S. Uh, will be able to sell its technology. President Trump made a mistake, in my opinion, strategically, because he demanded that either India would shift completely to all of American uh, weapons or not at all. That's not, you know, practicable for anybody in that, in that position. And hopefully, in future administrations uh, will be more you know, practically minded with that respect. But regardless, that trend is likely to persist economically. It has been experimenting with different financial systems and its interests. And I think the market ultimately um, just will show what option is winning. Um, So far, the going off trade in rupees has not worked out that well. It's a combination of different currencies has, you know, um, is one possibility, but if India wants to distance itself from China, it will probably want to rely on something other than Yuan for the time being. And the, you know China's economy is not very stable at the moment and probably will continue to be even less so if it's continues with the current course of action. So it may have to um, kind of uh, figure out where it wants to go, but this financial... Each aspect is something it will have to uh, look at if it wants to protect its interests. Um, I think it's trying hard to balance these relationships, but a lot of it means also transitioning from away from some towards others. And I think eventually, you know, states with other geopolitical ambitions such as China will make it impossible not to make that choice. When that's going to be exactly, I don't know. Um, in the past week, we have seen China launch a miniature a, an experimental charm offensive by publishing a positive op-ed about uh, Prime Minister Modi and about India's governance in its propaganda, but in reality, it would take a lot more than that to improve relations. And quite frankly, I think they're uh, geopolitical rivals. There's, they're not going to be able to occupy the same space simultaneously with the same with very competing and different visions of the future. And I don't think China's current leadership is amenable to any sort of compromise. I think they want to be number one and the only one, Um, whether it's India or the United States or anybody else. So I think India will probably be strengthening its relations with other Indo-Pacific countries, especially with we're seeing growing relations with Japan. We will probably see a lot more with South Korea as well, um, a lot more in terms of technology space, um, communications space. Um, there's also growing bilateral relations with Middle Eastern countries, such as UAE. A lot of investments flowing back and forth. So that sort of diversification is going to happen. I think uh, there's also evidence of India looking to expand its economic reach into Africa. So. It already has a significant bridge there, but I think it will look to build on that foundation in light of uh, critical minerals, um, in light of investments, in, in light of uh, defense uh, interests and in, um, tr- uh, trade of that sort. So we will probably see um, a lot of that going on, and all without necessarily any direct confrontations. But, but what india does voluntarily which is all these things that i i i I see already happening does not mean that adversarial actors will be content with just letting it move ahead at its own pace without bothering anybody i think we will see that there will be various unwelcome moves to force it to, to make that choice and i think india needs to be prepared for it i think its allies, historical allies of convenience and otherwise may not be ready to share India with others. And I think that will come a, at a point where India will be forced to shift away. Uh, I know that there's a big point about being independent, but I think part of being independent is also understanding who your allies are and who are countries that want to limit your uh, interest based on their own concerns in a very Mm, hostile way. I think. Uh, I think those pragmatic decisions will be made when the time comes.
0: Well explained. Well explained. It is indeed a very difficult world, a different world than it was some years back, and all countries will need to be prepared for this. And as it happens, we will continue to get your analysis to the uh, to the audience. With this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the World According to Irina. Thank you so much indeed for joining us.
1: Thank you so much.